Chapter Twenty Two of Kit and Kitty by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Two Cold Pepper Hall. Although there was a little help of moonlight, Sam drove home very carefully, for the more a man has to do with horses, the better he knows where his risk is, and I saw that his speech about Sally's speed as a power that could not be modified, was a speech and nothing more. He set me down at my uncle's door with many warm thanks for my kindness and a strong assurance that he should now go in and win. But my uncle was not so well pleased, for he had very little love for Sam and much hatred at being kept out of his bed. I suppose you don't want any supper, he grumbled. If you do, you must go and get what you can find. Your Aunt Parslow is a wealthy woman, but not the one to feed you as I do. I'll be bound she has sent you quite empty away. There's a bit of cold hock of bacon in the cupboard. I told him that I had been fed like a prince, which only increased his ill humor. She wants you to go and do her trees for nothing. I understand that old woman, he said as he gave me an inch of tallow candle, but after real turtle and champagne you will be able to make nothing out of this. It came by the girl who was old Tabby's niece or cousin or grandmother or something. The footman, no doubt, was too grand to come down here. Don't bother me with it. I want my nightcap. He gave me the letter which he had opened and which is addressed in a crabbed hand to Mr. Cornelius Orchardson, market gardener, Sunbury. And when he was gone, I read as follows. Miss Coldpepper presents her compliments to Mr. Orchardson, and will be much obliged if he shall send his nephew Christopher to the hall at ten o'clock tomorrow morning, as Miss Coldpepper has something to say to him. My conscience being in a dreadful state of nervousness and discomfort, without anybody to relieve it so, or any one to put it on, I wondered and wondered what this could mean, till my dreams, like a thatcher's pole, twisted it into a thousand ropes of many-colored stuff and stream, and when the morning came at last, I could not set about my work until I had learned what Tabby Tapscott thought about this new surprise. She, in her provoking ways, pretended to know everything, but would only shake her head and mutter and tell me to ensure my life. At last I saw that she knew nothing, and the only comfort I could find was to tell her that she should never know because she was an old humbug. It was a dull and foggy morning with a gray rime on the grass, and dead leaves hanging tipped with wet and dribbles of puddles along the walk, doubting whether to freeze or flow, and the whole air reeking with that Job's comfort, which means that there is much worse to come. I buttoned my coat and strode more briskly, though going upon a loath errand, you may know. When they showed me in at the tradesman's door, for I then looked up to dignities which exist by being looked up to, a strange and unaccustomed thing upset all the rally of my conscience. Regulus, the foremost of all beings in a well-regulated household, came down the passage, at a pace which spoke nine volumes for his digestion, though his lips were clouded with fine cream, and instead of taking a nip at me, he threw up his head as if he would have taken his hat off, if he wore one, and indulged in a bark of welcome, which went ringing back to the hall itself. Then he cut a caper round my feet, and with the innumerable laughter of his tail fell fawning and begged but a word from me. 
I have often seen men of small self-respect do that sort of thing to great personages, but I knew that this dog was full of self-respect and had little for other people. What was passing in his mind I cannot say, but simply record his actions. Well, I never see the like, said Charles, who had condescended to let me in. Why, he snappeth worse than ever at me, though the Lord knows I sweated to get him back. Come along this way, Master Kit. My lady will see you in the justice room. He showed me into a square paneled chamber where old Squire Nicholas used to rule over poachers and little thieves brought before him by the parish constable. And with Regulus still at my heels, I stood waiting anxiously for the lady. At length there came a rustle of silk moving slowly, watered silk such as we seldom see now, and can scarcely find time to think of, and as fine as the silk and as able to stand alone was the lady inside it, although she lived so near to us and drove by in her carriage so often, I knew her rather by sight than speech, and better by report than either. She was tall and straight and of goodly presence, with fine large features and a steadfast look, which expressed clear perception and strong resolve, but less violence of nature than her sister showed, her abundant hair drawn back from her ample forehead and coiled at the back of her head, would have been jet black but for a few lines of silver and an undercast of a tint like that of an American oak leaf. To me she appeared more imposing and handsome than her sister Monica, but I may have thought more highly of her because she lived at Sunbury. This lady made me a graceful bow, a very slight one, but still it was a bow, and proved that her nature was better than that of the Honorable Mrs. Bullrag. I replied with a low bend and scrape of my foot, which I always understand to be the proper thing in such a case, and the guilt of my heart as I thought of her dog was enough to account for the deep blush I felt. Are you the young Mr. Orchardson? she asked. The nephew of that Mr. Orchardson who owns the large garden and long walls at Sunbury? then I have a little matter to discuss with you. But how strongly my dog seems to take to you! It is not at all his general character. He is not at all devoted to mankind, but he has a remarkable memory. Perhaps you were kind to him when he was quite young, or perhaps you were even his master. No, ma'am, I know him only as your dog, but most dogs are fond of me. An aunt of mine has nine, and I was with them yesterday— Oh, that explains it, she spoke with a smile which made her face quite beautiful, and I wondered at the taste of the Honorable Tom in exchanging her for her sister. Now I dare say you know why I sent for you. For some years I have not seen very much of my sister, now the wife of Professor Fairthorne, a man well known in the scientific world. But a few weeks ago Captain Fairthorne asked me to allow his daughter by a previous marriage to spend a few days with me here, and I consented, for I knew him long before he married my sister, and have always felt a great regard for him. There is no reason why I should enter into that. Miss Fairthorne was here for about ten days, and she might have been longer but for you. Who are you that you should dare to fall in love with her?' Now these words look very harsh as written, and would sound so too if harshly spoken, but Miss Coldpepper scarcely seemed to mean them thus, for there was no contempt in her voice, 
and I thought that her glance was kind, though her face was very grave. Perhaps she was thinking of her own love time, which would rouse at once pity for me and ill will towards the sister, who then had wronged her so. It was difficult for me to answer her, and I was in no hurry to do so, knowing from dialogues with Tabby Tapscott that women are ready to go on again, and perhaps answer themselves when provoked to do it. Not that I compared Miss Culpepper with our poor Tabby for a moment, only that much the same rule applies to all women when they grow unruly. Their main object is to say something striking, being forbidden by nature to strike otherwise. You have nothing to say, then, continued the lady, without giving me time to know how much I had. Very well, I think that it is better so. I have tried to make every allowance for you, and I am glad not to find you at all defiant. Miss Fairthorne, of course, has no particular claims of birth to stand upon, for you know, and perhaps you have thought about it, that she has none of the cold pepper blood in her system. I suppose, if she had, you would scarcely have dared to behave in this way, Mr. Orchardson? Certainly not, madam, I replied with genuine truth, for I must have been frightened at the fearful temper of the family, and if Kitty had been a cold pepper, she could not have owned the sweet face which had won me. Really, I do not perceive in you, her ladyship, as our people called her, went on in a gentler tone, any signs of that audacity with which my sister charges you? To me you seem to be a well-meaning and fairly educated young man, and it may be your misfortune, more than fault, that you have given this offence. You certainly were of the greatest service to my niece, as I allow her to call herself, although she is no niece of mine. When that excessively stupid marker led her into needless danger, I do not know what I could have said to Professor Fairthorne, if his daughter had been swept away through the folly of my housekeeper. And more than that, I was beginning to grow rather fond of that young girl. I found her so ready and clever and obliging and free from conceit the young people show now. When she was taken away like that, I missed her very sadly and felt for her deeply at having to go back to, to so very dull a house. But I wish you to understand, young man, that though I am not in a position to forbid, I cannot in any way sanction or even approve of your suit to her, and I trust that your own common sense will induce you to withdraw it and try to forget her. You may think it hard, but it must be so. Will you promise to think no more of her? No, I cannot do that, I answered in a low voice which grew stronger as my heart warmed with my words. I will tell you no falsehood, Miss Coldpepper. As long as I live, I must think of her, and no one else in all this world. She is more to me than my life, my soul, or even my hope of another life. From the moment I first set eyes upon her, there was nothing else worth living for. The Lord, who governs all our ways and knows what is best for us, has been pleased to give me her pure love, a greater gift than the life he gave, and with his aid I will hold it fast, and he alone shall ever part us. I am not accustomed to strong words, but these are weak to what my meaning is. Well, I think they are pretty strong, but I will not blame you for them. She turned from my eyes, which were bright with deep passion, as behooved a well-bred lady. When things have come to such a pass, there is little more to be said or done, 
only it occurs to me, who have seen a good deal of men and women, that these brave words are often said, and for the moment felt, no doubt, but in a few years, or even one, or perhaps a month, where are they? A new love, equally the gift of heaven, comes in with still hotter fervor, and the old one is whistled down the wind, and why should it not be so with you? I knew in the heat of the moment she was referring to her own case, and my place was to be silent. Christopher Orchardson, she said at last, recovering her business tone, I have delivered my message to you, and it has not made much impression. To me the matter is of little moment, except that I like Miss Fairthorne more than I ever expected to like a girl again, and I am not pleased, as you may suppose, that she, with her youth and abilities and beauty, should make so poor a marriage. Have you thought of this? Have you considered whether you have any right to take her from a rank in life, or at least from a social position above your own, and keep her in a cottage among working men, with a scanty and perhaps doubtful income? You are a man of spirit. Do you think this fair? This was the point of all points, which perplexed me more than I could settle. She saw how deeply her words had moved me, and waited with a grim smile for my reply. Yes, I have fully considered that, and it is the one matter I doubt about. You have put it more clearly, madam, than I could put it, and entirely without exaggeration, and I scarcely know how to answer without referring to things that may pain you. But you may be aware that Miss Fairthorne at present leads a most unhappy life, and even worse than that, everything is being done to force her into a miserable marriage with a man of more than twice her age, and of anything but good character. He is supposed to be rich, but is poorer than myself, because he owes more than he can pay. She had better go to her grave than become the wife of such a person. From this she has no escape except to the quiet home I can give her, and to live among working men who would respect and look up to and admire her is surely less of a degradation than to be brought into a wild and rough company, as in the other case she must be. It will be known here that she has had the honor of your acquaintance and liking, and though you may not think fit to continue it under the change of circumstances, people will value her by what has been. And as for being happy, what is there to prevent it? She will live in a beautiful place in fine gardens, where there is always plenty to look at and enjoy, according to the time of year, abundance of flowers and fruit and good living, my uncle to make much of her, and myself to worship her, and nobody ever to say a cross word. It is not surprising that you have won her consent, Miss Coldpepper answered gravely, if you have put your proposals thus. How could a poor London girl resist such a program? And Kitty loves the country, as a lark or wood does. Well, you must understand that I will have nothing more to say about it. I have been asked to tell you what I think, I have done so, and there is an end of it. With these words she rang the bell, for someone to show me the way out. But having found her much less awful than I had expected, I was not content to let well alone, but must needs try to get further. Madam, I said, you have listened so kindly to all I have ventured to tell you, that I hope you will let me ask one question without being thought impertinent. It is only that I should like to know— 
who it is that has begged you to speak to me, and whether Captain Fairthorne is aware of it. At once her demeanor was changed to me. Her lofty indifference was gone. Her eyebrows rose and her eyelids quivered, and her face flushed with wrath like a storm cloud with the sun. I think that I have listened too kindly to you and the things you have dared to tell me. It will teach me to have less to say to underbred young men henceforth. Charles, show this man where the front door is. End of chapter 22